really good to see you all, and we're going to go ahead and open with a word of prayer and get started with our class today. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come together in your name as your people and study your word. Um, You know each and every one of us in this room. Uh, You know our needs. You know our desires. You know our hopes and dreams. You know us inside and out, the things that we're afraid of, our anxieties, our fears, our worries, our doubts. Um, You know us inside and out, and it's amazing that you still love us. And so we just come to you thanking you for this time. We thank you for the food that was prepared for us today. Um, Please use it to the nourishment of our bodies, and please use our bodies for your service. Um, We come to your word now, and we know, Holy Spirit, that we need you to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to these truths. I pray that you will help us to receive these truths. I pray that you will help us to believe these truths. And I pray that you will help us to share the practice and share these truths with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week in our study of the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels, we finished talking about Mary and Martha. And we talked about... um, we talked about we got into talking about the means of grace. Y'all remember how we were talking about that? The means of grace. And the means of grace are the things that the gifts that God has given us. The gifts that God has given us so that we may um have a relationship with him. And and through having a relationship with him, we can have a relationship with our neighbor as well. And so does anybody remember we talked about five different means of grace? Does anybody remember any of the means of grace we talked about last week? What were the means of grace that we talked about? Well, prayer is one of them. Prayer was one of them. Good. So prayer is a gift that God has given us that we can fellowship with him. Good. And and again, remember, it's him getting to us, not us getting to him. Right? Yeah, it's a so gift. It's him getting to us, not us getting to him. Like it's through his son Jesus that we're able to have fellowship with him. So prayer is one of the means of grace. What was another means of grace? Laura, you remember? You got a nosebleed? Wow. No, I'm frozen. You're frozen. All right. Frozen chosen. All right. <laughs> what is uh what is another means of grace? If if prayer is one of the gifts he's given us. Well one, you have your communion. Communion? You have faith. Um, uh, oh, okay. What's the other ordinance? There's two ordinances in the baptism. church. Baptism. Mm-hmm. So we have communion, baptism, prayer. And the word, you know, well, the word of God. But what about worship? Um, worship would be a means of grace, yeah. As long as it's our recognition that it's, we're worshiping him because he loves us, that he has gotten to us first. It's an expression of, of our love to him. So these means of grace are gifts that God has given us so that we can know him, so that we can have fellowship and, and have a relationship with him, to be in harmony with him, to be in harmony with ourselves, and to be in harmony with our fellow man, right? Hopefully. That would be the hope. But as we think about these means of grace, the one that we're going to talk about today is probably one of the most neglected of all of the means of grace. I I, I would say that there are some people that probably take communion more than they pray, right? There, There are some people that go to church a lot more than they pray. And prayer is is necessary, but it is often neglected. And I often use the example to, to, to expose myself, not you, but to expose myself. Uh, the example of people saying, will you pray for me? And I say, what do I say? Yeah, I'll pray for you. And the reality is, if I don't pray for them right then, right. at that very moment, then more than likely I'm just yeah. going to forget it. 
And not only that, it works the other way around too, right? How many of us forget that someone has told us, I'm praying for you? And so the reality is that prayer is one of the most neglected means of grace that God has given. Even more so than the Word. Like a lot of people that will pick up their Bible and read their Bible, how many of them pray before they read their Bible and ask God to open their eyes to that Word? How many times do we just pick up our Bible and start reading? Right. Right? Instead of praying before we do. So we want to understand that prayer is a very important um, means of grace that God has given us. And we're going to see that in today's text. Um, We're going to look at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And we're going to see in in this today, we're going to see um, how to pray. We're going to see God encourage us to pray. We're going to see... Um, the request and pattern of our prayers. We're going to see the readiness of God to hear our prayers. And we're going to see the re- uh, reliability of God to answer those prayers. We're going to see how He responds to us when we pray. So let's look at this text together. Um, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after He had finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us of our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you, you... Fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If then, being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, so we're going to go back through and look at that really quickly. I do want to turn back to the book of Matthew, and let's, since this is a harmony of Gospels, let's compare these two. We're not going to go into a detailed comparison, but we do want to see uh, that that Matthew gives a slightly different account, actually a, a more detailed account of the Lord's Prayer. This is Matthew chapter 6, and uh, let's go ahead and we'll look at... Um, Matt, if you want to read that for us, we're going to read verses 5 uh, through 15. If five you want to read 15? it. Yeah, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, looking at verses 5 through 15. Okay. <clears throat> Jesus said, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Okay. So we want to just take that to mind as we read, going back to Luke now and reading. So one of the first things that I do want you to notice here is that it said that Jesus was praying in a certain place. All right? So was he at, do you think he was out on a street corner praying? Probably not. He was probably in his inner closet, like in a private, secluded place. And maybe, maybe him and just his disciples. But after he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. All right? So John had disciples. Apparently, John taught his disciples how to pray. These are Jesus' disciples. And what do we say in the past about a disciple? What is a disciple? Someone who is under the discipline of a teacher right these are jesus's disciples and so what do the disciples do they see jesus praying and what does a disciple want to do pray pray imitate the teacher and so what we can be sure of is is that jesus's prayers were sincere prayers because he was truly talking with his father in heaven and children know sincerity when they see it don't they Right, you can't. You really can't pull the wool over on kids' eyes. They they know when you're blowing smoke or not. And so the reality is, is these disciples saw Jesus praying, and they have the desire to do the same. So they want to imitate their teacher, their master. And so they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus is going to do that. So, um, you know, it's so funny when you think about prayer, like in a, prayer in a public setting. Or even in a worship setting, um, I think that sometimes I, I'm, I've been guilty of this. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of this. But I think that sometimes when we pray publicly, we try to get a little long-winded just to make up for all of the times that we don't pray privately. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been at the end of a service and the preacher's praying and you're ready to go, like you're thinking about lunch and he's praying and he's he's going from A to Z, you know? The reality is is that Jesus' prayer is not an A to Z prayer, is it? Well, it actually it is an A to Z prayer, but it's getting the necessities and not um, all of these uh, secondary things, if you will. And so he's teaching them to pray. And and when remember in the Matthew passage, he said, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be praying all repetitiously. So this prayer, the Lord's prayer, or actually the disciples' prayer, that's what we call it, right? The disciples' prayer. How many of you have ever heard it called the Lord's Prayer? So why would it why would it be better to call it the disciples' prayer? Because he's teaching them how to pray. Okay. He's giving them a form of this is how you pray. But then we should be disciples right. too. Right. The Lord's Prayer 
would have been what he was doing before they, when they asked him to teach them how to pray. Or the Lord's Prayer would be John 17, the high priestly prayer when he intercedes for his people. So this is really better called the name, the disciples' prayer, because it's teaching the disciples how to pray. And in Matthew, what did he tell them? He said, you don't pray in repetition. So it's not like every day I should just, before I go to bed, pray this prayer and be done. Like, right. this is not, it, the point is not to just repeat this prayer over and over. Now, is this prayer inspired by God? Obviously. Yes, because it's the Word of God it's and it is inspired. <laughs> and is it fulfilling to pray it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be. Yes. Anytime that you can memorize and hide in your heart the Word of God so that you do not sin against Him, it is a good thing. Anytime that you can pray this prayer, it is a good thing. But the point of the prayer is to give us a structure or an outline on how we are to properly pray. Yeah. All right? So, the first thing that we notice, He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Father, hallowed be thy name. All right, what is significant about that? Well, you're honoring God. Good. You're honoring God. Good. You honor him. And the way that you honor him is by addressing him by his proper title. And for his children, we are his, he is our father. So just like you open up a prayer and you always put up in the top left-hand corner, you write the person's name and put the apostrophe and start your letter right? In the same way, that's how we start our prayer. We pray and we address the Father. Hallowed be your name, right? What does it mean to hallow the name of God? What does that mean? Keep it holy. Keep it holy. Good. Now, I want to remind you of something. If you notice this this whole lecture right here from 1 to 13 starts with him saying Father holy is your name and then at the end in verse 13 it says if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him so I want to go back into the Old Testament and I want to remind you of a passage that we've talked about in the past turn with me over to the book of Ezekiel chapter 36 Keep your finger there because we're coming right back to that in just a couple of minutes. Ezekiel, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. It's right after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, then Ezekiel. Just before Daniel. Just before Daniel. Ezekiel what? Let me help you. Ezekiel 5? Ezekiel 36. And we're going to start in verse 22. So remember the prophet Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel had been sent by God to give a message to the people of God. The people of God have been punished. They've been exiled to Babylon, right? They're, they've been drug off into slavery. Uh, they're living in a foreign land. And Ezekiel is to give them this message. So they're, they, they're not living in their homeland. They've been drug off into slavery and bondage. And now they're living and suffering because of something. What is the reason why they were drug off into slavery? Rebellion against God. Rebellion against God. And what was the greatest form of that rebellion? They might remember. They profaned God's name. They profaned God's name in the sense that they were idolaters. They were worshiping other gods right. instead of God. Okay? So look what it says in verse 22. 
Therefore, say to the house of Israel, all right, so God is inspiring Ezekiel to go and give this message. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. All right. So God says, I'm fixing to do something about your condition. And it's not because you're good. It's because I'm good. I'm going to do this. Uh, for my holy name's sake, which you profaned. So God says, I'm about to act and do something for you, not because you're good, but because I'm good. The reality is you have profaned my name, and the reason that you are living a life of suffering and captivity in Babylon is because you rejected me and you did not hallow my name. Now remember, when we talk about the name of God, the name of God is... His name, Yahweh, Jehovah. But his name is also who he is. His reputation. His reputation, who he is. When you buy a new car or you buy a house, you sign your name to the contract. What is that saying? I will pay this. So his name is his promise. And God always keeps his promises. But these are his children. The children of Israel are his children. And and they have his name. That's what you do with your kids. You give them your name, right? right. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a daughter, you give them your last name. Sometimes if it's a son, me and my dad, uh, we have the same first name. We're both named Ronald. Why? Because he gave me his name. But the reality is, is that when you have that name, you are a representative of that person. So remember, what is the first commandment? Do not, put no other no other gods. Do not have any other gods before me. That's it. All right. What's the second one? Um, Do not make unto any graven image. All right. What's the third one? Keep my commandments. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, in emptiness, and with no meaning. All right? So, not only does that mean don't say GD or OMG, that's what we immediately think of when we think of taking God's name in vain. But the reality is, when we take God's name, we're taking His promise upon ourselves and saying that we're His kids, we're walking around in this world representing our Father. And when we go out and we live a life that is contrary to our Father and His name, we are taking His name in vain. Right? Every one of us in this room have done things in our lives that we would never want our earthly father to know we did. But when you did it, you had his name. You were a representative of him. You were a chip off the old block, if you will. You see? And so when we talk about taking God's name in vain, it's more than just what we say with our mouth. It's what we do with our actions. And what God is saying here in Ezekiel is, you're my kids. I adopted you. I took you unto myself and gave you my name. And instead of honoring my name and hallowing my name and keeping my name holy, you went out and profaned it. And the reason that you are suffering is because of that. But I'm going to do something about your suffering. And the thing that I'm going to do for you is not because you're good. It's because you have my name, you have my promise, and my promise is better than you. Does that make sense? All right. So watch what he says he's going to do. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations. 
I will gather you from all of the lands and I will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways and my statutes. And you will be careful to keep my ordinances. All right. So what is God saying to his people? I'm going to reach down and pull you out of that wicked and and profane place, wash you clean, rip that heart of stone out of you, give you a heart of flesh and fill you with my spirit so that you can live according to my name. If my spirit was is within you, then you have the ability and the desire to live properly for my namesake. You see how that works? Now, um, uh, most people, a lot of people think that when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he told Nicodemus, marvel not that I say that you you must be born again. When he said to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wills and you don't know where it blows, but when he was, right, when he was talking about that, he would, and when he said a man must be born of water and the spirit, a lot of people believe that Jesus was pointing Nicodemus to this passage right here. That regeneration is a gift from God. That the new birth is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Right? And not only that, but part of that regeneration, one of the gifts that God gives us is not only a new heart, but his spirit. You see how that works? Now, with that in mind, let's go back to that Luke six passage, or Luke eleven passage, and look at it again. So, look at verse thirteen, eleven thirteen. Look what it says: If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask him. So, of our daily bread, of all of those things, what is the most important gift of all? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You see? It is the Holy Spirit that ensures that we have the desire and the ability to have fellowship with God and then to share that fellowship with the world around us. Okay? So, that kind of bookends this prayer. So, he says, Our Father... Holy is your name. So what have we established? We established the fact that we are a family member by adoption. Right? That's how we become members of the family of God. Jesus was the only begotten of the Father. Right? We are adopted. We are ch- God, Jesus is God's son by nature. We are God's sons by adoption. So- Ryan, the way this is written, how much more will the Heavenly Father give? We're going to go there, Lord. Okay. Jump ahead. We will be, I promise you we're going to get there. His mother's listening we'll to see. you. We'll see. All right. His let's see if we can get there. All right. Let's, let's see if we can get there to answer Lori's question. All right. So, our Father, your kingdom come. All right. So, one of the first things that we're praying is your kingdom come. Now, we've talked about this over and over. One of the main themes of the the gospel proclamation is is that the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is, the kingdom of God uh, has been, and the kingdom of God will be. But in his earthly ministry, 
As he has clothed himself in humanity and walked among us, he has come to stake the flag that his kingdom is here. And by his death, burial, and resurrection, he has staked that claim and said the kingdom of God is at hand. And so what we're seeing happen before our very eyes this very day is that the kingdom of God is being established before our very eyes. And the reality is, when Jesus died on that cross... All of his disciples stood there with broken hearts and empty hands going, wait, what about the kingdom? You promised us the kingdom, and now you're dead. And the reality is, the way that the kingdom of God established is contrary to the wisdom and ways of men. The kingdom of God is established through dying. We live through dying. The kingdom of God is established through tribulation and pain and suffering. When the kingdom was at its apex to the world, it looked like it was at its low point. And so when we pray to God and ask Him for His kingdom to come, are we praying a prayer that's going to be fulfilled? Yeah, you better believe it. But what is one of the things that we're acknowledging and we pray that to Him? It is His will. Yeah. Remember he said, Jesus said in John, He said, the kingdom is within you. And so what that means is his kingdom should be established within us. And it should come out of us as well. Right? What is the kingdom what does a, a kingdom a citizen of the kingdom look like? Somebody who lives like the Beatitudes says, right? If his spirit is within me, then it should come out of me in my words and my thoughts and my deeds. And so I'm praying to him and asking him not only Lord your kingdom be come like I'm ready for the clouds to break open and for him to come back and to finalize all of the promises that he has made because there are still things that have not been finalized in there we still get sick we still die we still lose our loved ones we still have pain we still have suffering there's still fear in the world there's still death and dying and sorrow and sickness right but when he comes back, all of those kingdom promises are going to be fulfilled not only spiritually, but physically. I can't wait to see. I, I, I often think about it, even like today, riding here from home. I was riding down the road and I was looking on the side of the road and it's wintertime outside and all the trees are all dead and everything's all yellow and dying. And I, I, I often think about what's it going to look like in a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth, in a new heaven and a new earth where things don't die. Right? Dave, you have a full head of hair, right? That's, that scalp ain't going to die no more. Well, I only miss it in the <laughs> Right, right. right. Well, that's we really we, right? So will we even have to wear hats anymore, right, yeah. to keep our heads warm? But the reality is, as you look around you, even the trees, like, will we have to rake leaves in the new kingdom? Thank God. You, you, you know, are, are the leaves going to fall off of the trees? Ooh, nothing dies. Nothing dies. Hmm. And to think about that world, that's what I'm praying when I say, Lord, your kingdom come. Like, I want to see physically established before my very eyes what is within me now, which is your promise. Have you ever thought about that? I, I, I love that. Is it, is it, who is it that sings it? Is it Fanny Crawford saying, Lord, haste the day when my faith becomes sight? 
The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trump route shall. The trump shall resound. And time be. It is well with my soul. That's not. It's not. That's not Fanny Crosby. But Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. That's that prayer, isn't it? Your kingdom come. Like I want to see what I believe. But the reality is, this kingdom is being established for our very eyes, and we need to pray that. We need to pray that. It's just a, the reality is what? That we pray that his kingdom come. We want that to happen. And what about our lost family and loved ones? We want to see the kingdom established in them, don't we? So we pray your kingdom come. Your, give us this day our daily bread. What are we asking for? The things that we need for physical substance. You know, I often hear people saying that this is a, that we're a, a needy, needy people, or that this generation is a needy people. The reality is, we're not a needy people, we're a wanty people. Yes, I was about to say that. <laughs> wanty. But, but you can't, you, I think you, the proper English would be a wanting people. Wanting. But I like wanty better. Yeah, too. Yeah. We are a wanty people. What do I mean by that? What is the difference in a want and a need? I want something. That you don't need. Okay. To li- to live, you know. Okay. Uh, so what does it need? A need is survival. Something the want is just a um, material. Okay, so you I need air. You can't do without. Yeah. I need oxygen. Right. I want a cigarette. Well, I I I can't do without. <laughs> See. All right. I need food. I want <laughs> ice cream. Right. I need. I need clothing. Right. I want, you know, this three hundred dollar jacket or something. You know, uh, how about this one? Do you think we need love? Yeah. What do you think? Do we need love? Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord, God's love. Yeah, I mean. Well, we I were mean, created in God's image. What we want God for. We were created in God's image, and God is love. Yeah. So, that's what motivated him. To create us yep. and to save us. Yeah. So, do you think we need love? I, yeah. I believe the answer yeah, is so. yes. We need love. Um, you see it in the uh, a child for his mother. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a for part. It's a, innate in us that we need love. So I need love. I want a relationship with her. You, you see the difference in those two things? Like, I'm looking for another person to fulfill in me something that they may not be capable of fulfilling. Oh, that's the first but thing we, in marriage counseling to tell you. Don't look for that. Yeah. So, we need love, but we want this. Don't look for perfection because you ain't going to find it. Yeah. And so, we think about it. When we're praying this, give us this day our daily bread. That means that God will... So it says in Philippians... 419 it says my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus in heaven. Right. so he says my God will supply all of your needs not your wants your needs so when I'm praying give me this day my daily bread I'm asking him to give me my needs and the reality is we live in a world where people are crying how poor we are as a nation but but we um this is the only time in the history of the world that a poor nation has been obese like we are an overweight people mm-hmm. like even the hungry don't aren't hungry no, we're just saving it up for later. Yeah, we're storing it like bears hibernate. for hibernation. That's yeah. Right. yeah, we're getting ready to hibernate. But the reality is, 
we need things. But our drive is towards our wants. And so a part of this prayer is an affirmation that, God, I need this. I need clothing. I need a, a roof over my head. I need love. I need food. I need water. I need your word. I need your spirit. Right? And think about that. That is the, He said that that's the greatest gift is his spirit. And how often do we desire ice cream over his Holy Spirit? Oof. I'm speaking to myself. I can't speak for y'all, but bluebell is definitely a weakness of mine. Well, even spiritual ice cream. Yes. Yeah. You want the fluff. You don't yeah. want the real thing. That's right. right. So, so think about that. <laughs> think about when we pray and we're asking God for things. How often are the things we're asking for actually wants instead of needs? And you're learning how to trust him to take care of your wants and needs. All right. Then he says, forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Forgive us of our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. All right. So in the... In the Matthew passage, what does it say? Forgive us of our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. So there's a correlation there. What I'm saying is, God, forgive me as I forgive those who have hurt me. Like, I profane you. Forgive me for profaning the people around me. Like, doing bad to them, harming them. Now, is God's forgiveness conditional? No. No. Unconditional. Yes, it is unconditional based on the condition that he died on the cross to pay for all of them. Like it's only through the work of Christ on the cross that I can be forgiven for everything that I've ever done. After you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit is in your heart. You begin to have a willingness to forgive others, right? Why? Because you understand what God has forgiven you of. Well, also too, like in verse 27 in Ezekiel 36, he says... I will put my spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Yep. Right? You don't do it naturally. We wouldn't do it naturally. Right. He causes us to be able to do those Good. things. So do we as Christians still struggle to forgive other people for what yes. they do? Yes. You better believe it. All right. So watch. I'm praying to God and I'm asking him, oh God, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who trespass against me. Now, the point in what Jesus is trying to make is this statement is not... Prescriptive is descriptive. What do I mean by that? It is not prescriptive. It is descriptive. What is a prescription, Lori? You said Heather was sick. She had to go to the doctor. They give her a prescription. What is a prescription? Something you should take. Okay. Something in the future. Something right. that's Something prescribed for you to take for your illness. Okay. Why do you take the medicine? So you can get better. All right. And so what does it mean to prescribe something? What? It, how does the doctor prescribe medication? He examines you and decides what you need. Okay, yeah. And he writes down on a piece of paper and gives you a prescription. And you go to the pharmacy and they fulfill the prescription. So a prescription is directions needed to get better. Here's your prescription for your sore throat. You go and you spray this on your throat three times a day. Uh, You gargle with warm salt water, whatever it is. There's a prescription for you being made better. To forgive others as I have been forgiven, is not a prescription to be forgiven. In other words, okay, 
Uh, Lori did me dirty, so if I will forgive her, then God will forgive me. That's prescriptive. If I do it, then God will do it. Well, God's already done it. Good. If I understand that, then forgiveness to Lori is now descriptive of my personality, not prescriptive for me to be forgiven. It describes who I am. you're not doing something for your salvation because you can't. Good. All right. So So what you're you're, saying is that you're not doing something for your salvation. Like you have to forgive somebody to be forgiven. Right. But if if you're already forgiven and that's why you're forgiving them, you're doing it because of the grace of God. Good. So to forgive others is not Jesus' prescription for you to be forgiven for your sins. It's descriptive of the person who has been forgiven of their sins and understands it. Is everybody on board with that? Do you all understand what I'm saying? So descriptive, prescriptive means these are the steps that you take to achieve the task. Prescriptive. These are the steps that you achieve to uh, to achieve the task. Descriptive is this is who you are. It describes you. Okay, if you're a believer and you don't um, forgive that other person... Then, then God will not forgive you. No, no. no. There's some right. It, the problem is, in that situation, it is descriptive of someone who does not understand what God has done for them. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, if you're holding grudges, you should really consider why your heart is holding grudges. Because um, if we're truly saved, then. We would we would not hold grudges because God forgave us, so we should forgive others and not want to hold that hate in our heart. Because what you're doing when you hold these grudges against other people is you're playing God. Okay. Okay. Because God is going to judge that person. If that person who has hurt you, if that person who has hurt you, never asked God to forgive them for what they've done, then will they answer eternally for their sin? Yes. Yes. But that's between them and God. Yeah. Not you. And when you continue to hold it, you're taking the place of God. You're saying, I know what this person deserves more than God does. Then the reality and is is that the reality is is that the person that you can think of right now that maybe you've not forgiven in your life, think about somebody who's really, really hurt you in your life. The reality is is that if that person fell on their knees today and prayed and asked God, if they even recognized that they'd hurt you, sometimes people have hurt us and we don't, they don't even know they have. But if that person falls on their knees today and prays and cries out to God and says, Oh God, forgive me for what I did to him, God's going to forgive them. Mm-hmm. And that's between them and God, not look, you. Look how much lighter your heart will be and your soul will be if you forgive and don't hold that grudge which just weighs you down and makes you angry and blackens your soul. So a part of this petition in the prayer is for us to recognize what God has done for us Good. and our expression to our our thankful expression to our Heavenly Father that we that not only am I telling you God that I am thankful for what you've done for me, but I'm going to show you by forgiving the people around me. Mm-hmm. Is that a word? Yes. Okay. Good. Right. Um, now, is your forgiveness, if you pray for someone to be forgiven, is your is that person forgiven? 
No, but that would make you a high priest. That would make well, you a priest. Right. You're praying for someone to be forgiven. That means your heart is forgiven. That's right. Them. I can see that. I'm so that's if you pray for, pray for somebody to be forgiven, right? Because they already have prayed. They're forgiven in your right. Right. So oh, yeah. you're yeah. you praying and asking. In other words, you pray to God. Oh God, help my child, or help my wife, or help my next door neighbor to be forgiven for their sins you can pray and ask that he reveal himself to them so that they can know him and know his forgiveness but you can't intercede for someone and get their sin so the bible says if we say we are without sin uh, we have deceived ourselves in the truth and not in us but if if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins uh, forgive us of all unrighteousness right that's what he said if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us but it doesn't say if we confess our neighbor's sins that he's faithful and just to forgive our neighbor. Like, I can't intercede for my neighbor in that sense. I can see that. I just was kind of curious about Yeah, Yeah. That would be nice. You know, uh, you know for the people you hold a grudge against, you know, it's like, you know, I got to pray for you. Today, and, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, God, change their heart. When yeah, in re- reality is you're being a judge, you need your heart changing. Yeah. So you can't change other people through your prayer. But God can. You can intercede for others and ask God to work in their lives, and that's certainly something that we should do. But we can't expect to change other people's lives. All right, so then he said to them, suppose, now, so now what he's going to do, he's shown us the proper pattern for prayer. These are the things that we should be praying for when we pray, that his kingdom come, um, that his will be done, that we be given our daily bread, that we be forgiven for our sins. These are the things that we desperately need. But then he's going to give us some examples. And this one is one of my favorite examples in the world. The one about the snake and the egg is just fantastic. Or the scorpion and the egg is just fantastic. So let's look at it. So then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. What is a loaf? Bread. Bread, all right. And for a friend of mine has come to me for a, for a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answered and said, Do not bother me. The door's already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. All right? Why would he do that? He said, I I tell you that even though he will not get up and give anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. needs." All right? That's important. It's it's supplying a need for somebody. And so in this situation, we're looking at a community of people together. And this person has had some family or some friends come in from out of town. He ain't got any bread in his house, so he goes over to his neighbor's house and knocks on the door and says, Hey, can you give me uh, you know, a couple of loaves of bread? And what does the guy say? Nah, me and my kids are in bed. I ain't getting up. But the person continues to knock. Now, why is he continuing to knock? What, let's, let's answer that well, first. Well, I think it, has, it goes back to us here. That if we if we're not getting our wishes from God, that we don't stop asking for forgiveness or something like that if we don't feel it or whatever. That this it's not really having anything to do with okay. prayer. Okay. So the person who is knocking is the evidently in the parable or the illustration. The person knocking is the one praying. Yeah. Okay. And in that analogy, he would be the one who has a desperate need. There's a need. Yeah. So why is he being persistent? Because Because there's a need. God's telling us to be persistent. He's not coming over. Just because you don't get what you want today doesn't mean it's not in store for you. Okay. Or or that you will ever get it, but don't stop asking. Okay. He's not coming over to borrow a lawnmower. 
he needs or he's not coming over to borrow something, you know, hey, can I borrow a DVD, can I borrow whatever? He's got a guy, and back then it was a big oh deal. When God. you had somebody come, especially in the middle of the night, you need to be able to feed okay. the hospitality. All right. So he had a, des- a definite need. It wasn't. He's going to continue knocking because he needs it. Good. So there's a persistence in his knocking, which means there's a persistence in prayer. And it's persistence for a need, not a want. Right. That's important to remember. This is something that's needed, not something that's just wanted. So he's going over and knocking on the neighbor's door after bedtime. Which is a big deal. So he's he's risking embarrassment. He's willing to admit he don't have it. That's right. another part of it. That is a big part. Because I can tell you this, I would get up today and go drive to a 24-hour grocery store and buy a bag of sugar before I would go to my neighbor's house at 10 o'clock at night and ask him for a cup. And bother them. Right. They're sleeping. Right. Why? Because of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, like I don't need my neighbor. You see? Yeah. There's a humility and an admittance that I have a need here. And he's making it known to the whole community around him because back then you lived close to everybody else. You knew if you was if somebody was knocking on your neighbor's door, you heard them too, and you went out there to see what all the the commotion was about. All right, so there's a persistence. That's what the lesson. And it's a need. And what we find out is is that the neighbor who supplies the need is actually God, and He is willing to do it, not because He has to but because he wants to and because he loves his neighbor. And wants to fulfill that need. And wants to fulfill that need. Well, so the to love a neighbor means to Just, fulfill their needs. Right. That goes back to the Good Samaritan passage we studied week before last. That there is a, Now, how would you feel if it was your neighbor knocking on your door at 11 o'clock at night and he wanted to borrow your you know, Star Wars trilogy CDs? <laughs> Right? You would be kind of angry about Dude, that, would you not? Morning, yeah. Right? right. First of all, you're not going to borrow my this because <laughs> right. Right, you don't need it. I was going to say, are you talking right. to Matt? My neighbor's my mama. Right. So, we understand in that parable. He said, look what he said, I tell you that even he will not get up to give anything because he is a friend, but because of his persistence, he will get him and give him as much as he needs. All right? He's not doing it to be friendly. He's doing it because the guy's in desperate need. All right? He says, so I say to you now, we've seen this before in the Matthew passage that brings us up. Um, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. We talked about it in the past, Lord. You remember our little acronym? A-S-K? How do you spell ask? A-S-K. And what did Jesus say? Ask, A. Mm -hmm. Seek. What did that start with? Yes. And knock. What did that start with? Okay. Now, I don't think Jesus was English. Like I think he was probably speaking Hebrew or Aramaic okay, here. So what would it be? But, but we put it in English, and that's a good way to remember that. A stands for ask. S stands for seek. And K stands for knock. So we ask. That's what that neighbor did. He went out the door, and he asked. Now, in order to ask, I have to be willing to admit I have a need. I have to be willing to go beyond the boundaries of being embarrassed and recognizing my insufficiencies. One of the reasons we don't ask God for things is because we don't want to deal with the insufficiencies that we have. Just like I said, I don't want to go to my neighbor and borrow a cup of sugar. I'd get in my car and drive to the store. 
I, that's, this brings up a silly point, but I, I don't know if any of y'all have ever experienced anything like this. But a couple months back, my water pump went out on my car, and I didn't have a car. And it was horrible. And I spent probably $200 in Uber getting back and forth to work for a week while I waited to get my car fixed. And the worst thing in the world, the most humbling thing in the world for me was to write a, a letter uh, uh, on um, our church webpage and say, hey, everybody, I won't be at church this week. My car's broke now, and I, I can't get all the way to Rinkin. That's where my church is as well there. And do you know that I had three people, three of my church family, volunteer to drive from Rinkin and come pick me up, bring me to church, and bring me back home? That didn't surprise me. I believe it. And and actually, actually, one young lady that lives closer, she lives over here on 17. She said, "Hey, I go up that way every week. I don't mind coming to get you." But you know, even in that, I didn't want to come. I didn't want her to come pick me up. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing to have to depend on somebody else to do something for me that yeah, I should have been able to do. Away their blessings. The Lord wants people to help their neighbor. Well, that's why I'm bringing this illustration up, Lori. When I got in the church, and to see the three or four people that all had volunteered to come pick me up, come and give me a hug, and say, hey, man, we'd have been there if you needed us. Like, that's humbling. It's it's so kind. And just like you said, Lori, when you refuse to receive the gifts that other people give you, you're taking away their commitment, their desire to to be neighborly. Uh, And so... It was just a, it was a life lesson for me. I still to this day hate to borrow or like have to depend upon anybody for anything. And unfortunately, God always seems to put me, not unfortunately, fortunately, God always keeps me above my rate. Like, keeps me below my rate. Like, He lets me know that you need other people. He keeps you above your rate. He keeps me below my rate. Like, uh, I don't get above my rate. Yeah. Like he keeps me constantly reminding me that I need other people in my life and that I need help sometimes. He does keep that. And it it it's it, it, as a man, I'm just telling you as a man, uh, my pride it sucks. I hate it. I hate having to depend on other people, but the reality is is I need other people. Yeah. Must run the family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it well it is. It's the family of Adam. Right. None of us want to depend <laughs> on anybody else. Definitely. Uh, and and so that's something we need to bring up when we talk about this prayer. One of the reasons that we don't pray is because of our unwillingness to recognize that we need God in our life. The simple fact that we don't believe He answers prayers. Have can I tell you? Can I list? numerous times where I know without one doubt that he has answered my prayers and family members' prayers. I can I can tell you some miraculous answers to prayers in my own life personally and in my family's life. And yet I still constantly doubt him. I still constantly doubt that he will answer my prayers. Why? Because so many of my prayers were prayers of want. That got no for an answer. And I got a no for an answer and I put my arms... Cross my arms and poke my lip out and say, fine, then I just won't ask. (laughs) You see? And I I, I use that as a silly illustration, but the reality is that's a serious problem that we have as children of God. We don't want to go to heaven. If God's going to fulfill your needs, and let's just say he's going to do that, then making up a want list to go into him is just ridiculous. 
he's going to fulfill your needs anyhow. You know, so so the the idea that we have to, you know, ask for it. I mean, I don't know if it's you know he may feel oh I gave it to him he'll feel good about this. Right. So but, what is it? What is the point? Because he does say that we're to pray, give us this day our daily bread. What is the point? The point is, is that the true child of God is dependent upon his father, and he will come to his father and ask him for the things that he needs. Just like when your earthly father wants you to come to him and tell you your problems and talk about it. We, we talked about this with my kid before. Yeah. You come to me and talk to me about these things. I want you to do that. I know when something's going on in your life, because I was a kid too. Right. But I still want you to talk to me about it. Right. So, one of the reasons we don't pray is because... A lack of faith. And, We've been down before. We've and, been let down before. And rebellion. We don't want to trust Him. Alright? So, prayer in itself is an expression of faith, is it not? And how often do we not express our faith in prayer? Okay? So, we got just a couple more minutes. Let's, let's get this passage finished, and next week when we get together, we'll work through this catechism. So, it says, um, now, this is one of my favorite illustrations all about. It says, for suppose one of you, you suppose one of you fathers, or he's asking the dads in the crowd, is asked by his son for a fish. Will he give him a snake instead of a fish? Would he give him a snake instead of a fish? I wouldn't think so. Or if you ask for an egg, Lori had egg for lunch today. She always has an egg for lunch. If we, if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? No. Now, what is the point? What is breads and eggs? Food, food, substance. Good substance too, right? Kind of hard to have breakfast without eggs and toast. Well, you can. I had a waffle today, but that's still kind of bread. But you, you see the point. If your kid comes to you and asks you for something that he needs, and you give him something that's dangerous, it's going to harm him. Now, a father would never give a son, uh, trade him a snake uh, for a piece of bread, right? Now, he might play a trick on him and give him a non poisonous snake just to scare him. But he's also going to give him the bread after he scared him, right? (laughs) Now, that God would never do that to us. But the point being is, is that. When we ask God for these things, He's not going to return the plea with something that is harmful. I like what Matt said about, you know, that it's good that we do ask. This is a part of our relationship. It's not, you know. He knows our needs before we have them. Yeah. yeah. He still wants us to ask sure. for them. All right. So let's finish with this verse 13 and then we'll be done for today. Think about what He's saying here. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? All right. So there's several things in there we need to make sure we understand. He called us evil. That's not really nice, is it? No. What does it mean to say we're evil? Because we're evil. We're sinful. Bad intentions. Okay. Um, I don't have kids, but I would. I do have. I do have cats and dogs. I know it's not the same thing. But there are some days where I literally feel like choking my cat. <laughs> like when I come I home and the it. blinds are ripped down. I get it. Yeah. Been yeah. there. Uh, Done right. that. Uh, they never grow up, do they? No. no. There are days when, now, I, I don't have kids, but I would guess that there are days when you despise your kid, like when they are completely on your nerves. Does that happen, Lori? Sure does. Yeah. Yeah. Still happening. Right? Now, most of the time, the problem is, is that you're <laughs> seeing, you see, you're seeing the, the part of you, the chip off the old block is what you're seeing, and that's what aggravates yeah. you the most. You're, you're seeing yourself in them. But Jesus says here, 
you know, we lose our tempers. God never goes off on a on God an emotional ta- uh, tantrum. Long suffering. Yeah. So if we as fallen human beings who are selfish and mean at times will do kind things for our children. How much more will our Heavenly Father, who has none of that evil in Him, do for those who, what? Ask. And, last thing, what is the greatest gift? What is it that we should ask for the most? Salvation. Salvation and the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Salvation. The Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation. But why is that so important? Going back to the Ezekiel passage. Because that is the promise from God. That is what he has given us as a gift. After he pulls us out of this wicked world, after he washes us clean with his blood, after he rips that heart of stone out of us and gives us a new eternal heart, he then gives us his spirit so that, as Matthew said, as the book of Ezekiel said, so that we can walk in his ways, so that we have the willingness and the ability to walk in his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah? All right, let's close with a quick word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this passage on prayer. Um, I do pray that for those who have heard this um, message today, um, I can speak personally for myself before you and them that it's certainly convicting to me uh, that my prayer life is not what it should be. I pray that we can understand through your Holy Spirit, through the gift of your Holy Spirit, how important it is for us to have a a personal uh, conversation with you uh, on a daily basis to, to pray without ceasing as you tell us in your word so help us Lord help us to um, guide our hearts guide our hearts help us to know what to ask for how to ask for it uh, to recognize our needs over our wants um, to ask you for those things to see those things being realized in our lives and to be thankful for all that you have given us especially your son Jesus in whose name we pray Amen. Amen. Amen.